That was the sounds of sirens from the security detail escorting state witness Jonathan Dowdall into the CCJ in Dublin this morning. Mr Dowdall spent his second day in the witness stand where he has been giving evidence against Jerry the Monk Hutch. I'm Michael O'Toole, crime correspondent with The Star and welcome to another episode of our podcast focusing on the trial of Mr Hutch. Now before we get started, just to recap, Mr Hutch is on trial at the non-jury special criminal court in the CCJ. He is charged with murdering David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel in north central Dublin on the 5th of February 2016. That's a charge he denies. Two men are on trial alongside Mr Hutch. Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy are not charged with the murder of David Byrne however. Instead they are accused of helping a crime gang carry out the murder by providing it with cars. Like Mr Hutch they deny the charge and all three are now on trial. Joining me now to discuss yet another interesting day in the trial is the Star's chief reporter Paul Healy. Hello Paul. How's it going Mick? Yeah another eventful day to say the least. It's 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 very stressful, but it's it's invigorating being there at the same time. Oh yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this this is the meat and bones, as I said, of the entire case. Uh, we we were getting the tail end today, basically, of the prosecution's uh, questions to Jonathan Dowdall. So that's prosecuting counsel Sean Gillan, uh, and he was going to play portions of the tapes uh, to Jonathan Dowdall this morning. So that's where we started off. Um, in relation to the case. Well, I think it'd be good to to maybe talk through a little bit of the atmosphere and the things that happened at the start of this case um, today, as we we, we kind of did that yesterday. And I think that kind of worked out sort of well. Yeah, and just, to, and just to recap, I suppose the main point that I took away from yesterday was that Jonathan Dowdell claimed in his direct evidence that uh, Mr. Hutch, who denies the, the murder, uh, told him that he and a man called James Michael Gately shot David Byrne at the Regency Airport Hotel. That really is the top line. So that was most of his direct evidence. Today was the remainder of the direct evidence. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> you know, every day you go in here, you're wondering what's going to happen next. Uh, we sat down, things were about to proceed. Uh, and then there was talk of um, poor Jerry Hutch. He, he can't see uh, Jonathan Dowdall. Um, we know he's wearing a headset, so he's, you know, he's had difficulty hearing. It's hard enough for us to hear Jonathan Dowdall yesterday, to be honest. Very hard. Um, oh, does uh, he speak in it? Does he speak very low? He speaks very low, but he also speaks away from the microphone and he had to continue to be reminded to speak into the microphone. I mean, look, he's talking at normal volume. It's just that it's a big, you know, it's a room and then you've got these big glass, uh, uh, panels that are up I presume for you know from the time of COVID I mean that's not the case in every courtroom but in this courtroom there's glass um, barriers kind of in the way and that seems to be maybe kind of muting the sound a little bit so there was talk of this can we you know they're in the way uh, and 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 uh, and Mr. Hutch has moved uh, from his position in the dock he was in the the, the far um, so from my left so the far right hand corner of the dock the, the closest to the judge's uh, next to uh, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy the entire time uh, but he'd moved to the complete opposite end to get a clear view of Jonathan Dowdall so I thought that was fascinating because he wanted to look Jonathan Dowdall right in the eye as I said he was staring at him yesterday uh, but you know he was obscured somewhat by this glass panel so this time he was sitting out kind of a bit uh, so that he could kind of look directly at Jonathan Dowdall but again today Jonathan Dowdall didn't look at Jerry Hutch I think someone said to me he glanced at him once when he walked out but uh, I Jonathan Dowdall keeps his head down the entire time. And today, uh, portions of the clips uh, of the tapes um, of this bugged conversation between Jerry Hush and Jonathan Dowdall were played 
to Jonathan Dowdle, and again he kept his head down through the whole thing, not looking at anyone actually now, just face down, listening to it, looking a little stressed to be honest. Um, Jerry Hutch, however, like I mean, at times, as I said, he was staring at uh, Jonathan Dowdle, but he was, if I can kind of describe this, um, especially later in the cross examination, Jerry Hutch kind of had his his head on his hands and he was leaning forward, um, and I just eyes fixed right on Jonathan Dowdall the entire time and everything he was saying uh, he was reacting to uh, very much you could see in his facial expressions um, and I'm just thinking of the geography of the court so effectively Jonathan Dowdall is although it's about maybe 25 feet away he, is he, he's facing effectively facing Mr Dowdall so they're, they're, or, uh, they're Jerry Hutch and Dowdall they're from face off, off, facing off to each other. Facing I mean, off from opposite, opposite other, really. side of the rooms. Yeah. So, I mean, this issue of, oh, the glass panelling is going to be removed and you know, apparently there was somebody that had showed up but they went to the wrong court. So there's a whole hullabaloo about that. But eventually those glass panels got removed later in the day. Um, but today, as I said, this morning's evidence was in relation to playing Jonathan Dowd all those clips. I don't propose to talk about this in too much detail other than to speak about the highlights because we've gone through these clips and what's been said on them and you know Mick from listening to these clips uh this tape both men are speaking very quickly but Jonathan Dowdall says about like you know 45 words in, in in a second uh he really speaks very quickly and then you're watching a transcript on a screen in front of you of the conversation but even that isn't particularly helpful because it's moving really quickly so I was trying to type all of this up and I just stopped myself I, I must admit, I, I thought that the, we knew that the transcript would be put on the screens. They're too big. Yeah, I don't know, 50-inch TV screens or whatever. Uh, and when I heard that before the, ever, the the bugged conversation between Hutch and Dowdle was played initially, I was a bit relieved because I thought, right, that'll make things easier. I thought it made it harder because, you know, you were keeping one eye on the, the transcript. You could see what was about to be said and you were starting to type it up and then you heard the actual voices. So it, it melted my head. So, yeah, I, 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 I feel what you Yeah, it, it, was, it was horrendous. But anyway, look, that's journalists giving out. So he was he was played certain clips today. Yeah, and I propose to kind of take this in a way that I had done it when I was in uh, the case, when I was live tweeting it. I just decided, when I say live tweeting, um, I had to stop myself, type up a certain amount of what was said, and basically then I went back upon that and put up what I was confident of what, what was said. But for every second that you stop to type something, you're missing something else. It's very important to say yeah. how, quick, how quickly this all kind of proceeds. Um, but yeah, just in getting into those clips, uh, there were a couple of revelations, so to speak, that came from this. Um, you know, there's conver- there's conversations in these tapes, you know, about him helping the Hutches and get his his getting involved. You know, the context of this is they went up, they were going up north and they were going to talk to individuals up north uh, to somehow broker some sort of a peace, a ceasefire in the feud. And Jonathan Dowdall knew individuals or allegedly knew individuals that could help assist in that. So he was asked by Sean Galan, you know, just in relation to his involvement with the Hutches and that and why he got involved. Uh, Jonathan Dowdall said he got involved because he believed he had been told at that point in time by Patsy Hutch that the Kinnahans wrongly believed uh, that Gary Hutch was an informant and that they were blaming Gary and they were blaming Patrick Hutch for trying to kill Daniel Kinnahan. And there was talk of a sum of 4.5 million euro uh, that was in an apartment that Gary Hutch was living in in Spain and that they wanted to take this money, kill Daniel Kinahan, 
Um, you know, and that's very interesting. That sum of money I don't think has ever been discussed is some of 4.5 million euro, has it, Mick? No, I, 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 I heard fleeting references to that. And I actually, I, I was quite, I was very interested to hear that because I'd never heard that amount of money. The only reference I'd heard to money about Gary Hutch was, you know, a 2008, I think. There was a big robbery in, in Dublin. Uh, and Gary Hutch was allegedly involved in that. It was a, a bank robbery, a tiger kidnapping. And the story was that Hutch, Jerry, Gary Hutch, gave his share of that robbery to Daniel Kinnan because the Kinnans, as we said, they're 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 not only drug kingpins, but they're very good at laundering money, and they know you know how to make even more money. And the story, one of the stories was that you know he didn't get the money back from Daniel Kinnan, and that started the whole thing. But you know, you know the point. I I think what really really important point here is, I think there's only two people. Who know exactly what happened because you've heard the story about uh, Gary Hutch being an informer. I was told, briefed, ah, you know, this was really about Gary Hutch wanting to take over the Kenyan drugs gang. Now I've heard this about the 4.5 million, so there's lots of stories, but really, the only people I think who know are Gary Hutch and Daniel Kenyan. And, and Gary Hutch can't talk about it, and Daniel Kenyan probably won't ever talk about it. But yes, you, you're, yeah, uh, that was interesting. But it's interesting, even, you know, that Jonathan Dowdall was explaining why he was helping the Hutches. And now he has this, I suppose, new version of events, new story that he says he only learned when he went into Weedfield Prison. He calls it the quote unquote real reason why the Kinahan Hutch feud started. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, I suppose he changed his feelings on his involvement. He said that Gerard didn't start it, uh, that it was Patsy's sons that started the feud. It wasn't the Kinnahans, was the quote. Uh, we actually led with that online, um, and we was one of our top lines in leading with it earlier, because that is an incredible statement by Jonathan Dowdell that he's saying the Kinnahans didn't start the feud. Well, that probably does go back to the, and I want to thank one of our eagle-eyed listeners. I, I said the, the murder attempt on Daniel Kinnahan, uh, in which innocent boxer Jamie Miller was shot, was in August 2013. It was actually August 2014, so thanks to our, our listener for that. So maybe that, that, is that what that's a reference to, the Kinnahan, that you know, uh, Gary Hutch starting it by trying to kill Daniel Kennan effectively. Yeah, that's what we're referenced to. And as Jonathan Dowdell had said, he subsequently learned that that was the shooting of Jamie Moore, the boxer Jamie Moore, um, who has went on to talk about uh, his experience about being shot. Um, but just moving on from that, then a couple of the other things that came out in relation to the tapes, you know yourself, Mick, Dowdell rants and he goes on and on and on. And there's a lot of conversation and, um, it, I was wondering, were they going to go through all of this with a, a fine-tooth comb? But really, uh, the prosecution counsel, Sean Glan, wanted to just pick up on one or two sentences out of a clip of about a dozen or more. And his specific interest was in relation to the constant references to the three yokes, as they were called in the tapes. Uh, we've heard that it was the prosecution's case that the three yokes are the three AK-47 rifles that were uh, found in the boot of Shane Ron's car and later identified as being the same weapons, the Kalashnikovs that were used in the Regency attack. Um, but we haven't heard anybody say that other than John Galan at this point. So he put it to Jonathan Dowdell. When you say three yokes, what were you referring to? And he said the three guns. What three guns? Said the, the eight, he said the three AK-47s. So that was important for the prosecution's case, certainly, to have Jonathan Dowdell acknowledge and confirm that when he's talking about yokes with Jerry Hutch, he's referring to those guns. And then there's another meeting, the meeting that they went up north, we heard more about this later on, uh, they met with Republican figures and Jerry Hutch had a discussion 
uh, where Jonathan Dowdall says he left the room for a period of 20 minutes. But asking Jerry Hutch about that later, he said that, that Mr. Hutch told him the conversation was about handing the AK-47 rifles over to these men. Um, it's it, The key to that is Dowdall says he wasn't in the room for, for, for that. So, I mean, you hear on the tapes a conversation uh, where Dowdall is kind of trying to find out what did Jerry Hutch say to these men. And Dowdall explained that he was trying to find out, basically, did Jerry Hutch tell these guys about his involvement, about the fact that it was them, the Hutches, uh, and specifically him, that were involved in the Regency Hotel attack or not. Uh, and Dowdall says he didn't find that out from, from Jerry Hutch. So... It's fascinating because, you know, Dowdall is admitting that he was inquisitive and he wanted to know what happened in this meeting between Jerry Hutch and these Republican figures. But he says he didn't get the answer on that. And what I, what I found interesting, I have a wee amateur theory that this whole trial will probably come down to that word yokes. So the way it works, in the, in it, because it's a non-jury trial, it's the, the three judges, Miss Justice Tara Burns and two other judges who are the presiding, Miss Justice Tara Burns is the presiding judge, and she, they will make findings and decisions based on the evidence. So essentially, I mean, I've spoken to people about this. I don't know what, what you think about this. You know, is it, I think it is, if the judges find that Yokes was a reference to the Kalashnikov-style rifles that were used in the, in the Regency Airport Hotel attack, then Mr. Hutch is in serious bother. Yeah, I think he's in serious bother if that is the finding of the judges. Um, but, you know... The, the We're not preempting any finding. No. <laughs> Important to say that. The but, prosecution's case... Mm-hmm. They said themselves is that Jerry Hutch is one was one of the team involved in the Regency Hotel attack, and to be a member of that team, you know there's all there was involvement in relation to the moving of these rifles, and Jerry Hutch is alleged to have been in a position where these rifles were handed over, um, and there's an involvement in relation to that, and then the conversation about the Oaks, etc. So all of that is going to come into play, and that's why it's very important for them to have asked Jonathan Dowdle, uh, when you say Yokes, uh, what do you mean? And he said the guns. Uh, so much. I think they call through. that grounding. I, yeah. I think legal experts call that grounding. It's you know you're saying the basics basically. So so what happened after that? Because that you're right. That was that was a key point. Yeah. So also the prosecution wanted to know uh, what was Jonathan Dowdall referring to in the tapes when the two men discussed the village, and Jonathan Dowdall confirmed that it was Buckingham Village. Discussed Buckingham Village already. Uh, in that that was the alleged meet-up spot of the the uh, vehicles involved in the hit and the individuals who were involved met in, in Buckingham Village. Um, so that, again, is important in terms of, of grounding the prosecution's case. But there was interesting talk um, in relation to Patsy Hutch. Uh, it, 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 Jonathan Dowdall divulged uh, today in court um, that, that Patsy Hutch was, was worried uh, about CCTV footage from Buckingham Village but he had allegedly told Jonathan Dowdall that that footage had been gotten rid of because he, quote-unquote, drove the van. So this is the first time we've heard an allegation from anyone's mouth that Patsy Hutch drove the van uh, in relation to the uh, the incident at the Regency Hotel. There are so many, uh, just to interrupt Paul for a second, there are so many really major lines from a journalistic perspective. Now this is evidence, so that's grand, but it's like, it's like you're you're sort of punch drunk. It's like Jesus, here's another one coming. It must have had, you must have had that sensation, not more. Yeah, and for every line you catch, you miss another one. Um, just in relation to the uh, the tapes, then I really want to move on to the cross examination because there's so much. But just another key element to the, the prosecution asking uh, Mr. Dowdall to contextualize the tapes. Uh, there is a clip in which 
uh, Mr. Hutch and uh, Jonathan Dowdall talk about the papers coverage and about some of the things that were said. Uh, Jerry Hutch says the papers weren't too far wrong in some of their coverage. Um, and they spoke about the half a dozen hitmen or a half a dozen hitmen and that um, individuals that they had spoken to were going to do away with these six hitmen. So Jonathan Dowdall was asked to explain this. Um, and uh, he said, look, there was... Uh, there was never anything spoke about or agreed to um the, the, these men that they had talked to they were never going to do anything like that you know because there's a suggestion that these men were going to go and try to kill uh, these individuals um he said oh, there was no suggestion of that um he said the only discussion the, that they had with these individuals that they, that they were going to try and stop the feud for them um and he described what was happening in these tapes as loose talk there wasn't really any substance in it he said um, but just so, the, the six yeah, individuals, uh, sorry, um, th- 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 my, if I'm right, my understanding is it, it was said today that those six individuals were the gang, the Kinnahan gang that murdered yeah. uh, Nettie Hutch, Eddie Hutch, Jerry Hutch's brother, uh, yeah. who was uh, murdered three days after the Regency. Yeah, Sean Galan asked, who are these six people you're referring to? Uh, and, and he said that they were the men that they believed had murdered uh, Nettie Hutch. Excuse me. Uh, you know, a brother of the accused, and and three. Uh, that that murder occurred three days after the Regency. Uh, he also said these six people tried to kill Jared, and that they'd been threatening people and stuff like that. Uh, you know, so we heard that portion on the tape previously that these had to go, and those words came from Jerry Hutch that these individuals would have to go, and that that would form part of the basis for any kind of ceasefire or end to the feud. But Jonathan Dowdell's here now saying, "No, I was all just loose talk." I also I remember I was in that day and I remember that uh, Jerry Hutch also said you know but by the same token the people who murdered David Byrne would have to go as well so it was sort of yes. like a quid pro quo. Yes, and and speaking about six persons, Jonathan Dell was also asked about the six persons believed to be involved in the Regency attack, uh, and who he believes that those individuals may be. Um, and Jonathan Dowdall said uh, that he believed that Jerry Hutch was one of them. Jared, I knew, was involved because he told me, he said. Uh, we know uh, this allegation, we'll come to it later, about the, the, the park meet-up and where Jerry Hutch allegedly confessed to Jonathan Dowdall. So that's what he's referring to here. He said, then I knew about Kevin Murray because I was told who he was. Um, and he, he said he knew about Patrick uh, because of photographs that he'd seen. Um, so he's naming various individuals who he's saying were allegedly involved in the Regency. I mean, that's just, as I said, there's uh, two individuals there that are not before the courts, and it's important to state that. But here he is uh, name-dropping uh, people again. Yeah, and he, he did mention uh, also someone who's not before the courts, Mago Gately. Uh, he, said that, uh, he said that Jerry Hutch told him that he and Mago Gately were involved in the killing. Previously, he did, yeah. And and key to this as well, because this was a portion of the tapes where Jerry Hutch says that the individuals involved in the Regency didn't know each other. And today, Jonathan Dowdall plainly said that Jerry Hutch was lying in this portion of the tape. He did know, they did all know each other. He said their family members and friends, they all knew each other. So, so mean, that's his analysis of what Jerry Hutch said. That, now, that is direct evidence, I suppose, from the recordings. Yes. But that's his analysis and that's what his claim or belief is about what Jerry Hutch said in that because he did say in the recordings the, 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 the six don't know each other or don't know who, who the whole group is basically. He did and it's important to state that this is Jonathan Dowdall um, t- telling his version of events. It's not us saying it. It's not uh, saying that this is 
fact that's for the judges to determine. Um, you know, and this is something that came up in cross-examination later. Jonathan Dowdo's story and version of events has changed and evolved over time, but he had his reasons or his explanations for why that was. I know he's got, he was accused of lying, but he had an explanation for every time that he did uh, kind of change his story because he said his understanding of certain things had changed. You know, he was everything or 99% of what he'd been told, and this was brought up by Brendan Gretton later, later, was from Patsy Hutch. He had this great relationship and friendship and trust, supposedly, with Patsy Hutch, to the point where Patsy Hutch went to John Dowdall, of all people, for some reason, to ask him to try and mediate and stop the feud. Uh, you have to take John Dowdall's word at that, um, but that that's what he's claiming. Uh, so I propose to get into, because I think this was just extraordinary this afternoon in uh, the cross-examination of Jonathan Dowdall by Brendan Graham. Just, just before we go on, uh, I like this bit sort of, he finished his direct evidence. Brent, yes. uh, uh, Sean Glan sat down. So Brendan Grehan, senior counsel for Jared Hutch, stood up. What was it like in the room when it happened? I think we've all been anticipating this because, I mean, we've got a teaser, I suppose, to a degree as to what Brendan Grehan is going to say. And, you know, John Dendero makes a lot of claims. And as I said, his story changes a lot of times. So we anticipated that he was going to say... He was going to really challenge him. And I mean, as I said, John Tendero's kept his head down the whole time and he's kept very much um, to script, so to speak. Like he's, he was being led in a particular direction by the prosecution because they wanted to lead him to certain points that they want to bring up, which is their case against Jerry Hutch. But, but really, this is where he's going to be challenged on everything he said. So as I, I was fascinated just to see the body language of, of Jonathan Dowdall once this kind of cross examination started, and just when he when he when he when it was about to start, did he look as if oh here I go I'm in trouble, or was he calm, or was he unfazed, or what? I think he was calm initially. Uh, over time, I thought he was quite animated. We, I mean, he kind of came out of his shell a little bit. As I said, we couldn't hear Jonathan Dowdall for a lot of the time. We could certainly hear him in the cross. I know he had been told to talk more into the microphone, but he was he had got louder and more animated and very, um, uh, you know, any time he was challenged and told he was a liar, he was quick to say, oh, I'm not lying. And this is why, you know, he was very passionate about answering quickly. And he got a bit irate towards the end because he didn't. There were one or two times where he said, I don't know why you're asking me this. Why are you asking me this? And I don't know where you're leading me with this. And. And, and as I'll get to, as a, at a portion at the end, Brendan Graham kind of just let him talk. And we were all kind of sitting there like, is he going to stop him at any point? And I, I remember Brendan Graham said to him, um, is, that it, is that all of it now or are you finished? Kind of, you know, and it, like, I suppose, I don't know whether that's a tactic or what, but he, I mean, he got to the point where he kind of just let Jonathan Dowdall rant and he really was just ranting uh, at that point about, Nothing really that's pertinent to the case against Mr. Hutch, but uh, a lot of stuff about his uh, treatment in prison and things that have allegedly happened to him in prison and about his health and his health conditions uh, and all of that. I mean, he really went on a long tangent at the end, but we'll come back to that if we have time. So, Mr. Grehan, uh, it would be fair to say that he opened up with a one-two. He basically called him a liar twice. There was no soft soap and he, he went for the jugular, shall we say. Yeah, so as you said, he hit him with the one-two. Um, he said there were two big lies that you gave as part of your testimony, he said to Jonathan Dowdall. One is that Jared Hutch collected the hotel security cards from you and your dad. And the second is that he confessed to you in a park a number of days later. 
so he hit him with that straight away. He called him a liar from really the get-go. Um, he said that Jonathan Dowdall was kind of portraying himself as a good Samaritan, so to speak, and that he stepped in uh, to get involved in the feud and to help Patsy Hutch uh, to mediate um, and to give some sort of solution. And Dowdall said, look, I was asked to stop. I was asked to mediate the feud. Uh, and Brendan Graham kind of immediately kind of cut in. And so your solution to that was to go to the IRA, uh, get get them involved. Is that right? Um, and he's I doubt I was like well you look you know I couldn't go to the cops I didn't go to the Gardaí you know so I I was asked to help I was asked to mediate Um, again he brought up like I think this is important to state this he said he didn't really know anybody so he's asked to go and talk and mediate and speak to people in the IRA or in a dissident background but then he's also saying I didn't really know anyone um but uh, again, that was challenged later. You know, well, if you didn't really know anyone, then what was the story? But he said, I knew someone that could talk to someone that might, you know, arrange a meeting that could then bring about a, a mediation and end to the feud. But he was sort of kind of trying to say, I didn't, well, admittedly, I didn't really know anybody. Just so, one quick question, Paul. Yeah. Did he, did he, and we spoke about this yesterday about this and IRA against versus IRA. Did he give any clarity on which IRA he was contacting? No, he didn't. As I said yesterday, he said that he wasn't talking about the anyone in the provisional world. Uh, the way he described them was dissident. That's the way he describes uh, the individuals that he was talking about. There were people named in relation to Shane Roan, who was Fish, uh, and another individual that was called Kevin Tyrone, who was the person they were really trying to meet. Um, but Jonathan Dowdall... Excuse me. Jonathan Dowdall had... Um, two meetings up north where he was trying to meet this Kevin Tyrone character, but the Kevin Tyrone person never showed up. Um, I, again, I propose to come to that in a second, but just going in, Mr. Graham was just initially asking him about, you know, why did they, why did they trust you? Why did they come to you of all people? Why Jonathan Dowdall of all people? And he said, I believe even at one point that Patrick Hutch Jr. stayed in your house, that Patsy Hutch asked you to, to put him up when the, when his life was in danger. And and then we got into the Joe Duffy stuff, which I thought was particularly interesting. It got very animated from here on out, and there was kind of sniggering in court. And, you know, yeah, Mr. Gretton has the one-liners, you know, so people couldn't help but react. It was a bit, I, I don't want to say it was like a show, but like, He'd say something and then people in the courtroom would react because it was just so, so staggering. So he said, well, you know, Mr. Dowdall, you asserted to the people of Ireland at the time that you had no involvement in crime. Isn't that right? Um, and, and, and Dowdall responded, oh, well, are you talking about Joe Duffy? And he said, yeah, I, I, I am. I'm talking about Joe Duffy. And straight away, Jonathan Dowdall wanted to talk about how he was on the, on, on the show at that point in time. So the context there is it was around the 9th of March 2016 when the Garda Special Detective Unit searched Jonathan Dowdell's home on the Cabra Road in Dublin uh, and that was part of this investigation and so that was the day that the Kalashnikovs were found it was the same night we've spoken about this how we got the story purely by chance when I heard about the search but anyway um, the following day uh, Mr Dowdell went on Joe Duffy just to talk to Joe and to talk to the nation Basically to say, it's not, uh, there's, there's nothing here, nothing to see here, move along now. 
Yeah, and and uh, you know that was we really went into that in terms of you know why were you talking about this and what was your mindset and, and Jonathan Dowdell said, well, I was upside down at the time. I was taking tablets every day, and he wasn't in the right mindset when he spoke to Joe Duffy. My home was being searched at the time. He said, and he thought it might have something to do with the Regency incident as to the reason why his home uh, was being searched. Um. But he said, you know, I wasn't lying when I was on Joe, Joe Duffy when I when he, when I said that I wasn't involved in organised crime. Well, so Mr. Gretchen said, well, were you involved then in disorganised crime, so to speak? So this is a reference to uh, the fact that by this point in time, Jonathan Dowdall had waterboarded, uh, tortured and, and held a man hostage in his own home. This individual is Alexander Hurley. Uh, I don't propose to talk about this too much, but just in summary, Jonathan Dowdell went to prison over this, initially got 12 years, and then on appeal, his his sentence was reduced. Um, so Jonathan Dowdell, you know, kind of went into this a little bit and said, well, I put, I advertised a bike on Dundeal, uh, and then this individual came over, and he believed he was a barrister, and he said that this person then tried to defraud him, and he, he said, oh, I deep, but I deeply regret what happened. He said it shouldn't have happened, and he's sorry over it. And he did his time in prison, he said, and I, I he went to psychologists and, and he received help in relation to it. Um, but Mr. Grehan wanted to challenge him on the fact that he pleaded guilty to that crime. Um, and he said, well, you did, didn't you half plead? Didn't you half plead guilty? He said, what do you mean by half plead? You don't half plead to something. And Mr. Grehan said, no, you don't. But after you went through the process of pleading guilty, going through the sentence, you then challenged that and and you wanted to take issue with things that Alexander Hurley had said in his appeal, uh, basically, uh, of his conviction. And and John DeDowdall kind of got a bit... This is kind of a roundabout where he got quite animated because he wanted to challenge... uh, He wanted to challenge his conviction, he said, and he went to the Court of Appeal over that and he said, we won three and a half out of five points, he said. He said, what do you mean by three and a half out of five points? Um, you meant out of the five points in the appeal, he felt that he'd won three and a half of the arguments. So he said, we effectively won that hearing. Um, so Mr. Grehan kind of brought it back then. He said, well, look, I'm diverting a little bit. Um, I started off by asking you about your relationship with the truth. And he said, do you accept that you lied when you went on the Joe Duffy show and you talked about that your house was being searched and that you had no involvement in crime, in criminality? Um, that was a lie, was it not? He said. And he said, well, no, I, I wasn't involved in organised crime. Uh, and then Mr. Gretton still pushed him, well, how about criminality? He said, well, look, I had committed a criminal act. Um, but, you know, Mr. Gretton pushed him again, because at this point in time, no one, no member of the public uh, knew uh, about the fact that Jonathan Dowdall had waterboarded a man, because only in that guard of search that the guards found a USB key. And when they looked on that USB key, there was a video, because this incident... Jonathan Dowdell had got somebody uh, to film uh, the process of, of Mr. Hurley being waterboarded in his home. So he had the crime on tape and the cops only discovered it because of the fact that they searched the home. Um, so Mr. Graham kind of put it to Jonathan Dowdell. Well, you didn't discuss it on the radio because nobody knew about it at that point and you didn't want anybody to know about it and you didn't expect anybody to ever find out about it again. You didn't think it would ever, ever be discovered. Um, but Jonathan Dowdell kind of responded by saying, oh, but it was. It was discovered. It did come out. He said, well, that's not the point. You didn't want anybody to know 
about it and you didn't expect anybody to ever find out about it. So he's trying to put it to him that you're lying when you say you were never involved in crime. Well, you quite clearly were because you 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 waterboarded a man in your house, essentially. So throughout this, he continued to label him a liar and to give to assert to his reasons why. Well, here is why you are a liar. And how did, uh, in your mind, how did uh, Mr. Dowdell stand up to this? Really, as I said, I suppose questioning. Yeah, I think he got quite agitated. Um, but you know, I I suppose anybody, when you're being accused of being a liar, you you, you probably would react. Uh, you know, if you felt that you weren't. Um, and he certainly got quite agitated and quite lively at this point. As this is a different sort of um, uh, sort of reactions out of Jonathan Dowdle than how we had seen him maybe yesterday or earlier today. Um. As I said, we could go on about the search of the home and the waterboarding incident, but uh, incident, sorry. Um, but I think we'll just move on slightly. Yeah, so we've moved on, um, and I'll I'll come back to to certain things just as I think of them because there's so much. But I just want to uh, give people the highlights, so to speak. Um, Brennan Graham was asking uh, John to Dowdall about getting the AK-47s moved. Um, he had contacted these associates up in the north, and and. Brennan Graham put it to him that you basically contacted these people to get the AK-47s moved. That was denied by Jonathan Dowdle. He jumped straight in. He said, I wasn't involved in moving the AK-47s. But he said, well, he was told by Jerry Hutch, he said, um, that these individuals were given them. But as I said earlier, he claimed he wasn't in the room. He was out of the room for 20 minutes. So Brennan Graham said to him, well, did you have any contact with these guns at all? Uh, And he said, no, I, I never did. Uh, when I contacted these people, it was to stop the feud and it was before the Regency. Um, and he felt at that point in time that he was kind of boxed in and that he was in the middle of it now. And he had no choice but to continue on. Uh, you know, he had been further contacted by the Hutches and asked to help and go up north with Jerry Hutch. But by this point, he was very stressed and he was on tablets, as he said, and he wasn't himself during this particular time period. Um so again, I I think this is this just kind of garnered laughs from all of us because we spent a bit of time talking about this meeting between Jerry Hutch, the individuals up north, uh, and if you remember from a couple of weeks back in the case when we were shown surveillance photographs of Jerry Hutch, Jonathan Dowdall, and another individual meeting Shane Roan in his house up in Donegal. And these, the members of the National Surveillance Unit were there and they were watching, uh, unbeknownst to John Dowdall, Jerry Hutch, and they took photos of them. And there was mention of this hold-all bag. Uh, I don't know if you remember that at the time, that there's a photo of John Dowdall with a hold-all bag taking it out of the boot of the Land Cruiser. Uh, so Brennan Graham asked him, well, what was in this what was in this kind of toolbox? Uh, what was in this? Was it tools or was it a, a, a um, you know, where you're going in to fix a plug? And kind of straight away, John Tadero said, yeah, that's what I was doing. And he was going in to fix a plug. Going in to fix a plug. And there was sort of a gasp in the, like everyone just went, huh? Well, and, and even Brennan Gretton kind of looked stunned at this point. You know, he's trying to eviscerate, I suppose, certain responses and certain answers. Obviously, he is challenging the witness and he's, he's expecting a bit of a, um, a fight back. But I don't, I think he was like stumped by that because as he went on to explain, he was kind of messing, so to speak. He was sort of just, 
you know, I said it because it was of the ridiculousness of it, really. Like, I mean, what did you, what did you, what could we think you were doing going in to fix a plug? He was kind of joking, but Jonathan Dowdall insisted, no, that's exactly what he was doing. He was going into Shane Roan's house, I believe it was, and that he was going to fix a TV plug that there had been some sort of electrical fault and earthing issue. And that's what he was in there to do. But Brennan Graham challenged him on that. Well, you know, you're on the tape, on the secretly recorded tape, talking about uh, essentially making a bomb, wiring a bomb. Um, and that as someone with an electrical background, he could find, you know, it would make sense that people of a Republican dissident background might be interested in Jonathan Dowdall's ability to make a bomb because there's discussion again on this tape. I don't know if you remember Mick of placing a bomb under a member of the Kinahan cartels shed. So there was a, a member of the Kinahan cartel who was living in a shed at the time. And uh, Hutch and Dowdall are talking on the tape about possibly placing a, an explosive device um, under this individual's home. Um, so Brennan Graham is suggesting that maybe these, dis- you know, I could see how these individuals would be interested in your ability to, you know, electrically wire something like that. Uh, and Dowdall wasn't, it wasn't taking that. He was like, I don't see how that follows suit. You know, I didn't, ha- I don't know how to, to, to do any of that. Um, so you say, oh, you didn't, you didn't know how to do any of that. Well, then why are you saying it? Um, and he's kind of saying, well, I was asked, I was asked, would I be able to do, um, a, you know, a circuit and that, but I, I didn't know how to. And he, he said, well, you had said that you can, YouTube this so you can find out about it on the internet and Dowdall was denying all of this no I I, I never was I had never had any intention of doing anything like that and he stuck to his position which was the reason he brought that hold all bag in um, was simply just uh, to, to fix this plug and Mr. Graham pointed to the ridiculousness you're telling us you're telling this court telling the country that you went with Jerry Hutch of all people in the height of the feud from Dublin to Donegal to fix a plug. And Mr. Dowdall said, no, that, yeah, no, I mean, that's what I was there for. That's one hell of a call out fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, in relation to, you know, uh, the circuits and, 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 and uh, you know, Mr. Dowdall said that the circuits he refers to on the tape, they didn't exist. So again, here's Mr. Grehan calling him a liar. So it was all lies then, he's saying. Uh, and Mr. Dowdall, at this point in time, said, well, yes, of course, it was all lies. Um, so it's an interesting quote from Brennan Grehan because I think this is his whole uh, case. He said, how do we know which Jonathan Dowdall is speaking? Is it the liar or is it the person who claims he's telling the truth, he said. And there was, I think that's one of the lines that actually kind of eviscerated a bit of laughter and a bit of kind of, oh, in the room, you know, like turning into a little bit of a show. Uh, John and Dowdall well, How did quite, Dowdall react to that? He was stressed through that. And he said, I'm not a liar. I don't have any reason to lie. Why would I lie? And I mean, uh, later we had discussion in relation to, you know, wouldn't it be convenient for you, Mr. Dowdall, to change uh, names in the case? Because he said throughout this you have made allegations and it's all Patsy Hutch. It's Patsy, Patsy, Patsy the whole way through, he says. And then out of nowhere, in the last minute, you throw Jerry Hutch into the mix. Suddenly, Jerry Hutch has this very key involvement. And he, he said it kind of would be convenient to you, especially when you were facing a murder charge, which at that you know point in time, he's making these allegations about the meet-up with Jerry Hutch and the confession, supposedly, by Jerry Hutch. Jonathan Dowdell was staring down the barrel of a murder charge himself. 
when Brandon Grattan put it to him, that isn't it effectively convenient that you're now bringing Jerry Hutch into the mix, that you could swap Patsy out for Jerry? And Dowdall got a bit irate about this. He said, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't name somebody. I wouldn't, I wouldn't incriminate somebody unless, you know, they were involved. And he said that he would not swap out Patsy Hutch for Jerry Hutch. So example, there was the meeting allegedly between Jonathan Dowdall, his father, and Jerry Hutch on the 4th of February, the day before the Regency, where he said his father handed over the key card for the hotel room to Jerry Hutch. And that key card, he said, sorry, he said they didn't have any conversation, and that was that. Mr. Graham was putting it to him that, well, that could have been Patsy. No, he was saying he was insistent upon that was Jared Hutch. And he put it to him that, I would put it to you that those two incidents, and the incident in the park, where you say you had this conversation, that you made it all up, that it didn't happen. Conversation never happened. He said, after all, why would Jerry Hutch talk to you? I mean, you were never friends. You weren't friends. You didn't know Jerry Hutch. Um, Okay, fair enough. He had a sort of a background uh, with the Hutch family and he had a friendship with Patsy. But he said, you didn't know Jerry Hutch. You know, if if on on the occasion, on the 4th of February, Jerry Hutch had no conversation with you. You're then trying to make us believe, he said, that when you met him in the park days after the Regency, that he was spilling his guts, so to speak, that he was telling you everything. Why would he tell you, of all people, when he didn't even engage in conversation with you the previous time? So how are we supposed to believe that, basically, he was trying to say. But Jonathan Dowdle kind of bit back a little bit and said, well, I did know Jerry Hutch. I grew up around Jerry Hutch. I would have known Gerard, would have seen him through the boxing club, and he knows his family members. So, And he said he was agitated that day after all the Regency had just happened. And he needed help. And that's why he came to him. And that's why he said what he said. But key to that, he did also say that's the only time where Jerry Hutch ever told him uh, that he had shot David Byrne. He didn't tell him that ever again in any other further conversations he had with Jerry Hutch, he said. There's an awful lot in this. What's next? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a very easy job here, Healy. Uh, I I mean... There's so much. I mean, then Jerry, uh, sorry, Jonathan Dowdall was asked, you know, well, you didn't come forward to the Gardaí until quite late with all of this pertinent information in relation to Jerry Hutch, and why not? And Jonathan Dowdall was trying to say, well, I, I tried to. I, there, as, I just think this is one interesting aspect, possibly to me and you, maybe not to members of the public, but I'll talk about it briefly that he brought up a a Twitter account and he said a Twitter account was being controlled by them. Uh, And he said that this Twitter account had targeted uh, Detective Superintendent Paul Scott. Uh, He said as a result of that, he felt that he could trust uh, Mr. Scott. And through his own solicitor, he said he attempted to contact the Guardian at that point in time. Didn't really get into why he didn't uh, end up talking to the guards, but... Just maybe yeah, briefly talk about that Twitter yeah, account so, or maybe we be just slightly yeah, no, so cautious I, about it. I, 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 firstly, uh, Paul Scott was the senior investigation officer, investigating officer for the, the murder uh, at the Regency Airport Hotel. So uh, there was a, 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 my memory is that account became active or became aware, we became aware of it in our minds uh, around April 2021. Uh, after the, there was a, a revelation that there had been a European arrest warrant issued for Mr. for Jared Hutchio, who we know was in Spain at the time. And if it is the account that I'm thinking of, it's probably the one you're accounting of. It was, it was me, it was, it was going on about Paul Scott. He was the superintendent at the time. He's now retired. 
Um, and it it, it it hockeyed him. It really did. It really did go after him. And it look, as we, we've said this before, one of the features of the Ken and Hutch feud has been the use of social media. When one of the Ken Hens did, and I don't know who ran this account, Jodel is saying it was the them, which I presume is the Hutch side. But yeah, so that, I, I certainly remember it really going after uh, Superintendent Scott there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, just on that then, you know, Mr. Grehan was challenging Jonathan Dowdell on why did you didn't come forward? Why didn't you come forward in 2018, 19, 20, 21? And Jonathan Dowdell said, well, I couldn't come forward after 2018 because I was in prison. Um, and he felt that if anybody was attempting to contact him in prison, be it Gardaí visiting him, that anybody would know about it. So he felt, he, he felt uh, concerned for his safety and his wife and his family's safety. And he said he put that in before anybody else. He didn't, he, he, I wasn't going to put my family's life in danger for and anybody. I, I seem to recall when um, I think it was Detective Sergeant Patrick O'Toole was given evidence about talking to Dowdell. It was a, effectively, it was a hush-hush operation and my memory is they arranged to meet him in the uh, guard station at Dublin Airport and there was a back door exit. So it, there was a bit of hush-hushness, if that's a word, to that whole operation to talk to Mr. Dowdell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to circle back a bit. I hope it doesn't confuse people, but just I was speaking about... Um, you know, Jonathan Dowdell's involvement in trying to stop the feud, allegedly, and to mediate. And Mr. Graham really challenged him on this um, because he said, you know, I'm still at a loss. I, I can't understand why he called it the Northern Command of the IRA. Can't understand why they would get involved in this. Why would they get involved with this? And and why you, why Jonathan Dowdell, you know, why couldn't the Hutches and the Kinnahans sort this out themselves? Um, and Jonathan Dowdell basically said, look, I was asked to broker some sort of agreement uh, and uh, between the two groups and he went to these people for that and just a good quote from Brendan Gretchen he said well since when have the IRA got involved in the mediation business <laughs> which again garnered some laughs uh, in, in the courtroom um, I think John Dowdell kind of has turned a bit on the hutches because he said at that point in time I was speaking to a man who was supposed to be innocent he said and he's referring to Patsy Hutch uh, to try and help stop the feud um, and he said, well, why did Patsy come to you? I mean, you you don't contact, not anyone could just contact the IRA. You don't exactly get them through the yellow pages. Um, you know, again, Jonathan Dowdall felt that the Hutches were innocent people, that innocent people were being targeted. Uh, um, but during all of this, for example, on the 4th of February, he says that he was up north trying to meet this Kevin Tyrone character, although Kevin Tyrone never met him. And that was the 4th of February. And at that point in time, he says, I didn't know at that point in time, the Hutches were planning the Regency. Um, I didn't know that that was going on. Uh, in spite of the fact that on the journey home, his father, Patrick, received a phone call from Patsy Hutch asking him, have you booked that hotel room yet? Um, you know, he says, look, me and my father, we we booked the hotel room if we had known uh, who was going to stay in that hotel room, we wouldn't have done it. And he says it wasn't until they were speaking to the guardie that they actually learned that it was Kevin Murray, flat cap, that was in the room. He said never knew who was going to be in the room at all uh, and that they had booked rooms for Patsy previously, um, you know, over the years. They just didn't know who was involved. He, at several different points in time, he said, I wasn't involved in the Regency. I wasn't involved in the murder of David Byrne. It's important to remember that he pleaded guilty to facilitating the murder of David Byrne. 
Uh, and several times today he said he wasn't involved at all in any aspect of it, other than booking the room. And he was very clear to say that they never knew what the purpose of the room was for or who was even going to be in the room. Um, so this is a man who's pleaded guilty to an offence, but he very much feels he's innocent of uh, of the crime, so to speak, in relation to the murder of Jerry Hutch, sorry, of the murder of David Byrne. And and Mr. Graham, you know, he wanted to labour on that point that you were facing a murder charge and that is why you spoke to Gardy and said the things you said. Um, and I doubt I'll really fought back on that point. This wasn't about him trying to get a charge dropped. He was basically trying to tell the story as it was and he said he would have come forward uh, sooner and he just didn't have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I just I'll finish with the I'll just finish this with this point because again this kind of stunned us that in relation to Jonathan Dowdall's father, uh, you know he, he Mr. Graham was like, well, your father hasn't come here to support you. He hasn't made any statement. Why is that? I mean, you're saying you met with Jerry Hutch and your father was there. How come he hasn't come to back you up? And Jonathan Dowdall got very annoyed by this because he was like, well, you didn't call him. Why didn't you call him? He said to Brendan Graham. Why hasn't the prosecution called him? Why hasn't the, uh, sorry, the DPP called him? The judges? He said, my father is willing to talk. He's willing to testify before the court if he's asked. Um, but Mr. Gretton, look, he moved on from that. But Jonathan Dowdall was really at pains to say that his father was willing to testify before the Special Criminal Court and to back up his claims um, that they did meet Jerry Hutch and pass over the, the, key, cards, uh, for the, uh, the key card for the Regency Hotel room. Now, there's we plen- don't see the witness list, so yeah. it, who knows? It could happen. We don't have a clue. But anyway, look, there's... It certainly there's, hasn't been yeah, called to date. Yeah, so uh, how did it end? Because uh, there was a huge amount in there. So what was the last scene, shall we say? It, as I said, it ended with a, a, a big long rant by Jonathan Dowdall that we that Mr. Gretton kind of more or less let him talk. We got a little bit of an insight into the complaints that he supposedly made, the long list of complaints, although Jonathan Dowdall said it wasn't a list of complaints. Um, apparently on last Friday, Jonathan Dowdall went to the governor of Limerick Prison and complained uh, in relation to the fact that he hadn't received medication in a number of weeks and that he has a spasm, uh, serious spasms uh, and health issues. And um, Mr. Graham put it to him that he was trying to leverage the fact that he was going to give evidence this week and that he needed, he was trying to get his prison um, situation sorted and his health issues and medication issues sorted. And he was leveraging the fact that he was about to give evidence to do that. And John Dodero said, well, you know, I've, I've had to travel two and a half hours from Limerick prison, you know, and I'm, I don't have my medication and he's in pain, apparently, and he has this health condition. Um, but he said, regardless of your complaint, I, I'm here. I'm here, am I? I'm giving evidence. So he was kind of saying all of that was a moot point because he was here now and he was being cross-examined nonetheless. So we more or less left it around then um, after a kind of a long spiel by Jonathan Dowdall. Um, there was other stuff in relation to an alleged incident that happened uh, where someone alleged that they had been kind of assaulted or attacked in some way by Jonathan Dowdall and Mr. Dowdall denied that, said it didn't happen and it, and there was it was investigated by the Gardaí and they found out that it was nonsense. Um. That's more or less where we left it. So there is a rake more, I'd say, to go. But it was very interesting. Throughout the day, Mr. Graham repeatedly made the point that you're a liar. How can we trust anything you say? Here are all the you know, examples as to why you're a liar. Um, 
really really fascinating stuff uh blockbuster stuff and i'm sure there'll be more tomorrow brilliant and uh, i really look forward to it and i think we'll i'll speak to the editor about getting a, a special medal minted for you for all your hard work today because that's a that's a tough game <laughs> <laughs> all right well, paul thanks very okay, much Good stuff. thank you